Thank you for listening to Freelance Kills. This podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only. Nothing I say should be considered financial or investment advice. Please contact a registered and licensed investment advisor or tax professional for any advice on your own personal situation. They talk about I took my beat and I got beat up in Tokyo. See, I took my beat like a man. He never took a beat and he quit before he could ever take a beat. I mean, that's testing what he has inside. Episode 16. I am both nervous, scared. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I've been thinking a lot about what does this podcast look like as I get, you know, back to work busier. I've eaten in the past two or three weeks, I've been uh, slammed and that's not to be braggadocious or anything. It's just that uh, still trying to save the space for me to be able to operate personally for things that don't make me money, to take the time for myself to exercise, to sort of enjoy downtime. And then mixing that back in with work uh, has been quite an adjustment. But not everything's back to normal. I still have these nice breaks in between shoots and, and things like that. So I'm still excited to put out the podcast weekly, and I'm hoping that I'll you know be able to keep doing that. This week, talking about some of the things that were sort of revealed by this pandemic, how to get yourself on a better footing. I mean, how do you recover from getting punched in the face? How do, how do we turn the page, change the chapter, uh, pivot? And I'm going to attack that from a mechanical way, and then I'm going to tackle it from a sort of a wellness mentality type of way. Uh, But anyway, buckle your seatbelts. Let's get this episode started. Thank you for joining for yet another week, and uh, thank you for your patience since I didn't have a show last week. All right, here we go. Thanks. Before I get too deep in it, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening and supporting this show. It's not a perfect show, but it's a valuable one. It's valuable and it's free. If you're enjoying the episodes, do me a quick favor, subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're using, and if you want to take it another step, like and rate the show. That way the cream can rise to the top, and if you're really looking for your scout badge, pass the show along to a friend, a family member, or share it on social media. I'm doing this from the heart, and it's important to me people get a chance to learn as well. I routinely forget things that are important to other people, but don't seem to be that important to me. Am I a horrible person? I forget names literally all the time. I forget little stories that happen to people or their friends. I forget things that I don't commit to my Google calendar. I even forget chores around the house that are staring me in the face. I know I'm not building a very good case for myself now, am I? (laughs) I, I'm teetering ever so close to that horrible person column. Or maybe not. Look, I don't remember names, but I almost never forget a face. I don't remember little stories, but I remember the character and personality of that person. 
once you remind me who we're actually talking about. And on chores, I don't mind a gentle reminder. So maybe, just maybe, I can avoid the term horrible for a little while. I don't even know if I have a point. I, I guess I'm trying to highlight a big strength of mine. I can see the bigger picture. My mind moves 100 miles per hour. I'm constantly turning over ideas, imagining situations, replaying conversations, and a host of other things 24-7. I'm convinced if I was built to endure this level of mental noise and gymnastics, I'd most certainly be committed at this point. And by committed, I mean like to a loony bin. And if that's not politically correct, you know what I'm trying to say here. Some days I view it as a gift, and most days I view myself as some sort of sociopath. All that being said, I think the bigger picture is a horizon we should all be moving towards. Seeing the bigger picture doesn't negate the need to sometimes be micro or to read between the lines. Quite contrary, I think it allows us to filter out a lot of the noise. There is so much noise in the world, even on an extreme local level. I see so many friends get caught up in the cyclone, the hurricane of empty calories. It's crazy. A news item enters you and it absolutely satiates a craving. Maybe the craving is about being informed or to feel smart or to be able to converse later at dinner. Who knows? But it's a craving. It's like, it's like soda. It's just empty sugar calories. And just like sugar, it has the ability to weigh you down and change your mood. At the same time, it doesn't really have any material effect on your today or even several tomorrows in the future in most cases. Why am I even saying this? Well, because this episode is about ditching your current plan. What is your current plan, you might be asking? Well, honestly, I don't know because I'm not you. But I do know that most people's current plans don't work. Where's the evidence might be your next question. Well, some really great evidence came out of watching how everyone handled this COVID-19 pandemic. Although, I think that's even probably a little short-sighted. We've had evidence that the problems I'm talking about have been around much, much longer. And that this pandemic just brought out the spotlight and the sledgehammer. If you don't believe me, just Google something to the effect of, quote, U.S. household financial statistics end quote. I did just that. Here's what came up in the most immediate search results. This first uh, data is from this website called Financial Pulse. I pulled the following stats. Data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows the median earnings for Americans at every age bracket with the third quarter of 2018 breaking down as follows. So if you're, uh, let's start at 25 to 34 for you guys that uh, are, I guess, millennials just out of college, uh, all the way up to my age, $820 weekly or $42,640 annually. For the age bracket 35 to 44 years, $991 weekly or $51,532 annually. Now, they go on to do other brackets, 45 to 54, 55 to 64, and 65 years or older. But that highest median number was 45 to 54 years old, and that was $1,015 weekly or $52,780 annually. If you're not familiar with median, it just means that 
50% of a data set falls below the number we're talking about and 50% falls above. So let's just take my age, for instance. I'm 34 years old. According to that data, I make, I mean, the sorry, the median person uh, makes $820 weekly and about $43,000 annually. So that means 50% of Americans at in that age range of 25 to 34 make more than that, 43,000, and 50% make below that. So, you know, do with you will with those numbers, but it does paint a picture. These numbers in aggregate paint a picture of how uh, American incomes look. Let's see, another data marker here. According to the Northwestern Mutual 2018 Planning and Progress Study, the average American had approximately $38,000 in personal debt. Now, $38,000 on average. Now, here's the difference between average and median. Average adds up all the people in the sample size, whether that be 100, 1,000, 500,000 people, adds up all their collective debt, and then divides by the number of people. So this is an on average number. It doesn't mean 50% above and 50% below. It just means the average, meaning there could be some really, really big outliers that pull that average up, or there could be some really, really big outliers or small outliers that help bring that number down. But on average, the average American has $38,000 worth of personal debt, which is not a small amount of debt. I'm going to skim through some of these things that I wrote down because, you know, we're just building the bigger picture here. Experience report the state of student loan debt in 2017 shows the following. 13.4% of Americans had student loan debt. The average balance of student loan debt was $34,144. Now, just compare that amount of debt and especially because I just brought up the average American has $38,000 worth of personal debt, compare those two numbers to the fact that the median income from ages 25 to 65 falls somewhere between forty-two dollars and $50,000. That's two-thirds of your income if you're doing the math. I'm, that's back-of-the-envelope math. The, the average American had 3.7 student loans. The average American's total debt, including mortgage, automobile, student loan, etc., was $101,000. And this is from that report in 2017. That is not a small number to blink at. And again, I know this brings in mortgages, which makes this number in a, a bit bigger uh, and for good reason. But that's still a lot of debt. A lot of debt, because remember, a third of that would be student loans. If you if you you know take the average, right? You know, let's just say you're at the average auto loan, and this I'm just guessing because I don't think I pulled a statistic for this. But let's just say the average auto loan is I don't know thirty thousand, right? Or maybe fifteen thousand. Let's be super liberal with it and and be kind to everybody. If we have the average student debt being our uh, student loan balance being 34,000. We have the, you know, average auto loan that I'm making up being around 15, 20,000. We are now at around $55,000 worth of debt. So if, if every, if the average American has $101,000, then only 50 of that, 50,000 of that 
links to the the mortgage. And this is very rudimentary way to sort of add these numbers up. I'm just trying to paint pictures here. Let's see something else that's interesting here that I highlighted. According to Magnify Money's data, the average American household savings account balance is $16,420. Now, the median American household savings account balance is roughly a quarter of that amount, standing at $4,830. I don't know when this was pulled, but between you know 2017 to now, or 2018 to now, these numbers aren't moving that much, especially with the pandemic. But think about that. Think about that. The average American household has $17,000 in their bank account. The average. There's 323 million of us. But the median, think about this median. 50% of American households, 50% of American households have savings accounts balances of $4,830, which means that 50% of Americans have savings less than that. 50%. Just painting pictures. Bankrate's latest financial security index survey shows that only 39% of American households could afford to cover an unexpected $1,000 emergency with their savings. $1,000. Now, this links up very nicely to the statistic that I just read with the median American household savings. Because if 50% of Americans have $4,830 or less in their savings account, then when a $1,000 emergency pops up, that makes sense that only 39% of Americans could afford it. Right? Because there's some people on the margin that have less than that 4,000. And then there's that 50% of Americans that have more than that number, um, but maybe not that much more because there are several large outliers of people that drag that average up that can afford the $1,000 emergency savings. Either way you read that, it's not very confidence-inspiring. Again, just paint pictures. According to the Northwestern Mutual 2018 Planning and Progress Study, 21% of Americans have no retirement savings at all. I just like, I wish I had a sound effect for uh, like a record skipping, but that is one in five Americans have zero retirement savings. Man. I kind of jumped the shark here. I kind of wanted to hit these other statistics up too. The results of a 2017 Go Banking Rates survey indicate that many Americans lack an adequate emergency fund, specifically. And hold on to your hats or whatever you're supposed to hold on to when you hear something that's a little unsettling. 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 in a savings account. 55% of Americans couldn't cover six months' worth of living expenses. 54% of Americans couldn't cover medical emergencies. And 42% of Americans couldn't cover emergency car repairs. And like I said, by that other study, 21% of Americans have no retirement savings at all. 
and one in three Americans have less than $5,000 in retirement savings. 33% have less than $5,000 in retirement savings. And if you add that, so that's 33%, you add that to the 21% of Americans that have no retirement savings whatsoever, you get basically 50% of Americans have I mean, look, $5,000, I'd call that zero retirement savings at all. It's really scary stuff. And again, I'm just painting pictures here. All right, just a couple more stats to round it out a little bit. This is from a site called thetokenist.io. Findings from three recent National Endowment for Financial Education, NEFE, funded research studies reveal the following. Only 24% of millennials demonstrate basic financial literacy. 29% of millennials have overdrawn their checking account in the prior 12 months. This was uh, research done before COVID-19. 72% have a mortgage on their home, and among those with mortgages, 24% have been late on mortgage payments. Although 36% of millennials are savvy enough to already have self-directed retirement accounts, 22% either took a loan or made a hardship withdrawal in the prior 12 months, which if you're confused on what that means, it means that 36% of millennials have a self-directed retirement account, but 22% of those people that have the retirement account pulled money out against their interest, but in order to prevent something else probably more damaging from happening. So they either took a loan against their 401k or they withdrew money prematurely because of something bad happening. So, you know, not healthy altogether. 69% of Americans are saving 10% or less of their income. But it gets worse. 21% of American citizens are saving absolutely nothing at all. And I'll leave this series on data and statistics on this. A bank rate survey asked a bunch of respondents, what is the biggest reason you aren't saving more money? And this is how Americans who are currently working responded. Now, I'm going to just read you this as a a bar chart. The number one reason people aren't saving more money is expenses. And that was at the top at 38%. The next bar haven't gotten to it. That was 16%. The third bar, job isn't good enough. That was 16%. Fourth, debt, 13%. And lastly, don't need to save more was the response of 18, uh, excuse me, don't need more coming in last was the response from 8%. Of people. Now, I just, this is just a quick, you know, hot take of this list. Largely, all these things on the list, especially because these are, this is a survey of people that are working, are all within your control. Now, can you make expenses in your life go to zero? Absolutely not. But do you have control over your expenses? Absolutely. Having, having not gotten to saving money, What? Come on. Job isn't good enough, but yet you can't save money or you, or I, I, 
Before I judge this one too harshly, I don't know if that means I don't make enough, but it, I, you would think it would say, because I don't make enough. And it doesn't say that. So, what? <laughs> Debt, again, I understand. You got some student loans. We get that. I'm going to get some forgiveness for that, obviously. And don't need to save more. I'm glad it's just 8% of people saying that because in most cases, I would say you probably do. And most of the people I know, the <laughs> most of the people I'm surrounded around, uh, most of the people that aren't rich, you obviously don't fall into this 8%. So anyway, there's other data, there's other statistics. I just wanted to open up with that because today is all about the big picture seeing the big picture, understanding the big picture, and walking towards it. Okay, that was a bunch of statistics. Let's not focus on the individual data. Let's just task ourselves with understanding the big picture. The majority of Americans aren't living predominantly healthy financial lives. And this can be argued for people who have fairly high incomes as well. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, guess what? I forget which one, but one of the guests on the podcast referenced a Tyson quote. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I'm going to say that one more time, and I quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, end quote. If you haven't figured this out already, when you were furloughed, when you were laid off, when you had your salary reduced... Or when you started quarantine, well, I'm here to tell you, wake up. You got punched in the mouth. Now, what are you going to do about it? For some of you, maybe this is the first time you caught a punch to the dome. But just a wild guess, I bet many of us have been in a boxy match using some pretty dynamic footwork and some decent bobbing and weaving to avoid that punch to the face. You're following the analogy, right? Sort of living really close to the financial brink and always doing what you can to avoid it. Some of you have relied on your parents or an inheritance. Some of you have relied on a spouse or credit cards to stretch the budget further into the future. Some of you have relied on switching jobs to get the salary bump you've needed to sustain your lifestyle. And for just as many of y'all, you've gone with the ignorance is bliss approach. It doesn't really matter what you've done to avoid it. You're down on the mat. The referee has started the 10 count. One, two, three, four, five. What are you going to do? Step one, let's toss that old plan out if you're still holding on to it. That plan only worked for you because it was an illusion. You didn't realize how close to the edge you were. I hate to use a sad health analogy, but bad financial habits aren't that dissimilar from undiagnosed cancers. Many times, you can be walking around feeling fine and able-bodied. If you end up sick or not feeling well, oftentimes the symptoms can be treated and they go away. There's often no reason to do more expansive or more expensive tests. You go on with life thinking nothing's wrong, but eventually that cancer starts to spread or impact your body in ways that start flashing these giant signs to check under the hood. There are times where the doctor finds the true source of the problems and she's too late and the chances of survival are super low. 
But, and here's the encouraging part, financially, there's so much more latitude. The survival and thrive rates of catching your bad financial habits, even late in the game, are still super strong. Just like your health, though, the better you treat your body while you're young, the quicker you diagnose and correct your problems, the better off your prospects and lifetime enjoyment are going to be. All right, now you know you have a problem. So what do you do about it? I want to talk about one very concrete thing and one thing that's a little bit more intangible, if you will. The first thing, the emergency fund. I talk about this quite a bit. You can check back on episode two of Freelance Kills and also visit my Skillshare class about money habits. But briefly, an emergency fund is a pile of cash you save up in case of emergencies. See that? How simple that was? I try to define emergencies realistically. A visit to the ER, a car repair that's your main method of getting to and from your place of employment. Oh, I don't know. COVID-19, when your income drops to $0 a month. These are true emergencies because they translate to a real dollar crisis. What you want to do is save up no less than six months of your income or six months of your expenses. Now, saving up to six months of your expenses is going to require you to have a budget in place so it's easy to calculate. I created a spreadsheet for this, which is available through my Skillshare class, so check it out. It also has the dual purpose of helping you understand how quickly you can pay off debt. But anyways, most people thought something like this most recent global pandemic would have never shut down the economy. So prior to it, most recommendations were three to six months for people employed by a company. And I'm saying three to six months of your expenses or income saved up if you're employed by a company and longer for those of us that are self-employed. I'd be comfortable in changing that target to nine months for employed folks and 12 months for self-employed folks. We started this pandemic Uh, quarantine in April, and we just started with phased openings in late June, July. That's four months right there, and many people are still unemployed, still furloughed, or on reduced salaries. People that average towards a lower income also have the hardest jobs to return to. Service industry folks like restaurants and hotels, airlines, So just picture yourself with a six-month emergency fund with only two months left and an economy still not open. I tend to recommend people think more conservatively. These pandemics don't come frequently, that's true. It's more than likely that your next emergency won't be related to a global virus. But, just saying, I like to prepare for emergencies that have struck during my lifetime because it's real, it's tangible. It increases sort of that possibility range of things I need to be looking out for. Okay, so what else about the emergency fund? One thing I didn't mention is that you should pay your debt first. So if you have a lot of debt, save $1,000 for your emergency fund and then pay off the debt before starting to build the bigger emergency fund. You can save the emergency fund into a high-yield savings account. The yields right now aren't very high, but whatever, it is what it is. But the idea is to have that cash separate from your day-to-day checking and with enough friction to prevent you from transferring the cash to take care of a vacation splurge or something like that. That's it. It's super simple. You just have to make a commitment. And I believe in you. I personally have a minimum of a year's worth of cash saved for myself and my partner. It allowed me, 
Like, well, let's just treat myself as the case study. It allowed me to walk into this quarantine and treat it like two things, an opportunity and a much needed break. I started this podcast. I started financial coaching. I made huge strides in my exercise and weight loss goals. I got closer to my partner. I was able to move forward with financial commitments I made prior to the pandemic. I even have a cash reserve for my photo studio. So I was, I was able to save it instead of shutting it down, even though I went without a dime of revenue for three months. Imagine what you can do for yourself and your family from a place of financial strength. Imagine what you can do if you remove some of the financial stress from the picture. Let's take a quick break and I'll wrap up with what I consider the more intangible piece of this puzzle. Be right back. Okay, we're back. I wanted to separate those two thoughts. I thought it was important to sort of uh, break up them from a foundational aspect because they're they're kind of different. Um, building an emergency fund is mechanical. It's um, it's simple and straightforward. Now, it's not always easy. Obviously, you know we know diets are pretty straightforward too. They have rules to follow. They have guidelines to stay on the path. But if, but inevitably people still give up or, or stumble on their diets as well. So I'm saying simple, not easy. You know what's harder than a diet or an emergency fund? Tackling emotional health and behaviors. I'm hoping this pandemic did some of the heavy lifting for me. Here's sort of an illustration to help get it where I'm going. In uh, my friend Dario Kelmis's Black Imagination podcast, episode five, with Kirby of Pierre Moss, Kirby poses the question, what have you been thinking about during this global pandemic? What are the top 10 things you've been thinking about? Is fashion even one of those things? No, because it doesn't matter. I use that to point to a bigger issue that most people suffer from, consumption, consumerism. I'm not that different from you. I like nice things. I like expensive things too, honestly. I love food. Uh, especially out with friends and a bottle of wine or two or, you know, a couple cocktails, whatever. I love traveling and, and being on planes and staying in architecturally relevant hotels, which basically just means modern and cool. But I, I like to live where I want to live and use my free time the way I want to use it. We all have a lot in common, and that I'm absolutely sure of. The big difference between some of us is our degree of self-alignment. How do I describe or define self-alignment? I'm still working on the definition, uh, but I think I look at self-alignment as understanding at the core what's driving you, what's making you happy, what makes you sad, what frustrates you, what you enjoy doing as a task in exchange for money, what things you hate about certain types of jobs, what things you don't like about authority, what things you're okay with, what kind of society you look at. And honestly, that's a lot. I'm really just talking about the things inside, happiness, sadness, frustration, disappointment, anger, and aligning your life in a way that those things can align for the most smoothest, least amount of friction projection. <laughs> um, you know, so if you really enjoy, uh, I don't know, uh, 
weaving blankets. <laughs> That's such a stupid example. But if you really enjoy weaving blankets, well, hey, maybe you might not be able to survive doing that full time uh, for a living, but it damn sure better be a hobby. That's sort of what I mean by self-alignment. If you like people around you that are collaborative, that don't knock other people, like don't tear people down, that only build people up, that enjoy a good laugh, but yet your friend group is full of people that like making jokes about people, making people feel bad about what they don't have in life, or aren't really concerned about people that you'd be concerned about, well, then you're not in self-alignment. So that's the illustration of what I mean by self-alignment. I don't believe I deserve or, or that I have a right to everything in life. I know that with limited funds comes a future of tough decisions. I don't constantly look at friends or strangers and get jealous of their trips or, or their purchases for that matter. I realized a long time ago, my happiness doesn't feed off very much. I think I've, I've whittled it down to a few things. So uh, bear with me. Here's my list. And these are the list of things that I need in my life in order to maintain my self-alignment. And I think you'll, you'll sort of start seeing it as I get through this list. The first thing on this list, and these are in no particular order, but maybe they are, kind of. Love. I know I want and need an intimate and romantic relationship with a partner. I also know I thrive off close connections and intimacy with friends and family. Luckily, none of these relationships really cost anything. Well, they don't cost anything except uh, time and effort, which I'm willing to shell out in abundance for love. Secondly, or not secondly, in order. Remember, these are not all in order, but health. I only have one life to live. You do too. I'd like to make sure this body, my mind, they both have the best chance to survive without pain or impairment. Obviously, health insurance is a cost, but the stuff needed to prevent myself from having to rely on that insurance often has minimal cost. I have two pairs of running shoes, as an example. I also have a bicycle that I bought like three years ago that I just simply take in for maintenance once a year. Low cost for physical health. The streets and parks of New York City they're free 99 and you can insert whatever city and state you live in, and I guarantee you'll find some free options in order to keep in that body tight and healthy and, uh, you know, prepared for the next Armageddon. <laughs> um, anyway, like I said, I don't even go to the gym anymore. So maintaining physical health is free. Now, on the other end of things, like mental health, because I did mention my mind, maybe there are some costs to that. You know, for those of you who pay for health insurance, maybe you can find a therapist or psychologist or whoever within your health uh, insurance provider. Uh, so you can just pay a copay. So again, minimal. Or outside of the, the healthcare space, there are so many low cost to entry things you can take advantage of for your mental health. You know, an app like Headspace or Calm you know, what do you pay? Maybe 45 bucks a year or something in that neighborhood uh, to be able to do some mindfulness activities. Not to link this back to love, but absolutely linking this back to love. 
the more conversations and the more vulnerable you can be around friends, family members, people you love, I guarantee you that will only add uh, to the to the peace of mind and the mental and emotional health that you're that you might be striving or wanting. Um, and again, obviously, you know, having a therapist, especially an out of network person that it doesn't have a copay that you have to pay for that full hour of time, you know, that gets expensive, especially if you're doing it every week. So I'm not saying that is the end-all be-all. What I'm saying is there is a range, there's a spectrum of things you can be doing for your mind and your body that start at free and range all the way up to super expensive. So there are options. Next, staying young. And I know this kind of links to uh, the healthy piece, but I mean this in a very specific way. I went in circles for like six months before I ponied up and bought a PlayStation. I think it cost me about $350 or so when I factored in the extra controller and then on average like $60 a game. But I've also settled into playing like two games, uh, NBA 2K20 and Red Dead Redemption 2. Those are my games of choice, at least for right now. Luckily, also Call of Duty Warzone is free for the most part. Uh, And so, you know, I guess where I'm going is Overall, considering I play the console at least once a day, uh, the cost per use is in the pennies. And yes, I do play it almost every single day. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing games. I think it helps the mind. It's a great distraction. It's fun. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but notably, on top of that cost per use being so low, PS4 came out in 2013. For those of you who are not PlayStation people, PS4 is the current iteration of PlayStation. It came out in 2013. So, you know, the new PS5 is due out towards the end of 2020. But the point there is that you can buy one gaming console and it can last you anywhere from three to seven years. It's not like having to upgrade your iPhone once every other year, which costs you way more than the PlayStation is going to cost you. So I'm just putting it out there that there are low-cost solutions to fun, to entertainment, to love, to, to health, to all these things. We don't need to necessarily settle on the most expensive versions of what these things have to offer. And lastly on this list, I'll round it out by saying vacation. And this one is kind of a filler, but, it, but it's important. It's important. I would be fine with one of these a year. As it stands now, I think that's really all I take, and the rest are mostly work trips. So, you know, for the most part, I do only take one, like, big vacation a year. But I'm not talking about visiting the parents or anything like that. I'm talking about that real vacation, that real break from life. This year, me and my partner went to Japan. I think it was two years ago we went to Portugal, um, so I'm, I'm talking about those vacations that are, are splurges, things that will actually impact your budget. You know, if I fly home to visit my parents, that might be, uh, you know, $200 to $250 plane ticket. But once I'm there, I have a place to stay for free, and it's the same expenses as it would be uh, if I was still in New York, uh, where, I, where my home base is. And maybe a little cheaper, honestly. Going out to restaurants with friends, a little bit cheaper, you know, um, I can't think of anything more expensive. I still can run and bike for free. Uh, so, you know, there are there's a difference when I talk about vacation or taking time for yourself. And 
you know, the things that I would do on a, on a splurge vacation, maybe it's staying longer than I would do. If I visit my parents, it might be three or four days. If I go on a vacation where me and the, the wifey blocked out the time, you know, maybe we block out a whole week. Maybe it's two weeks if we're lucky. Who knows? Um, or maybe it's just getting a nicer hotel, uh, enjoying a bottle of wine with every dinner instead of just uh, splurging on one or two nights. You know, there's all these different ways to diversify it. But the point is, just like everything else, it's a spectrum. But I know that vacation and taking that time for myself, especially sharing that experience with somebody I love, is an important part of my self-alignment. And so I discussed those four things, love, health, staying young, and vacation. Those are just four things in my self-alignment uh, sort of dossier. But we all have to find out what those things are for ourselves. And knowing those things really gets you on the path. Anyway, that's it. Four things I really want in order to stay happy. Now, are there other things I spend money on? Absolutely. The point of this short list was to condense my wants and needs into the worst case scenario. What if my income reduced and my lifestyle had to shrink? Could I be happy? What are the things that would drive and maintain that happiness? Will those items change? Maybe if my personality dramatically changes sometime in the future. But this is foundationally me. I don't expect many changes here. We should try to drill down to who we are at the core, at our core. We should endeavor to figure out what makes us tick, what makes us happy. If we can unlock these truths about ourselves, we can redo our whole lifestyle. We can start over. And we can reemerge. We can become more diligent about how we expand our lifestyle. I don't want you to get confused by anything I'm saying. If you want a luxurious lifestyle, earn it and build it. No shade. If you want some truly expensive things in your life, by all means, go out there and crush it so that you can have those things in your ecosystem, in your world, in your, in your life. Just know these things have prerequisites. Everything in life has a prerequisite. If you want things to run as smoothly and comfortably as you'd like, you have to live up, you have to earn those prerequisites. I am not against living a material life if those materials actually make you feel satisfied emotionally. And I personally believe that some material things really do add joy to your life if you acquire them for the right reason. For example, I'm restoring a classic car because I always enjoy the look and feel of older cars versus the plasticky build and shape of modern cars. <clears throat> Moreover, and I'm sort of just tossing this one in for those of you who like cars, but like when you're driving in a, in a modern car, you know, something from the 2010s and later, even early 2000s, you're actually like, the ride is quieter, it's smoother, it feels like a protected bubble in some, in some ways. And it's light. It's, it's, it's easy. You can, you can go from zero to 60, no matter the speed, but you can go, you can really hit 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, and you could be in a 90 and you wouldn't even realize that something changed. That's the, there's this unknown quality uh, about, driving an older car, whether it's stick or not, whatever, my, my, mine's an automatic. But 
when you're pressing down on that pedal, it you feel you feel things. You're you're that acceleration costs you something in the body, you know. Um, and, and being in that heavy piece of steel, I mean, it's it's something, right? Um, it, it's just it's a weightier, it's meatier, it's got more texture uh, than driving. Uh, a lot of the sort of entry level new cars that are out there. Um, luxury cars, the same, except luxury cars are also a different experience in general. But anyway, I'm, I digress. I'm getting off topic, getting back to it. It would have been a terrible decision if I bought the car because I was jealous that my neighbor had a cooler car than mine. That would be such an empty victory and a regrettable purchase. Again, it's about why. Why do I want this thing? Why am I spending the money on this thing? To compete with somebody or because it really makes me happy? Anyway, you get my drift? We can get the things we value and enjoy if we stop rushing to the finish line. A healthy life is hopefully a long one. What difference does it make if you acquire your prized possession at 35 or 40? I mean, 25 or 30 for that matter. Regardless, the bigger picture, the big picture point here is this. When you reach a certain degree of self-alignment, the intensity of want and need, it reduces. You find out you don't need much. Simultaneously, you want less shit to pile up in your life. Money stops being this thing you use to get stuff. And it starts becoming a source of freedom and opportunity. Money gives you this incredibly powerful option of saying no. It gives you space to be you. It gives you the freedom to do nothing or anything you can afford with it. It becomes a sort of force field. That's not to say you become invincible, but I would argue the feeling is quite similar from an emotional standpoint. It's really hard to describe unless you've been there and experienced it. This episode is all about encouraging you to get there. Like I said before the break, you got punched in the face. You're, you're down on the mat with the ref standing over you, counting to 10. One, two, three, five, seven. You had this plan to duck and dodge and tire the other guy or girl out until boom, your financial behavior punch you square in the jaw. What are you going to do about it? You're going to try to get up slowly with the same broke-ass plan you had before, or are you going to jump up and press reset? Give yourself a fighting chance at this journey of life. I'm hoping you pick door number two. That's it. Thank you for listening to episode 16 of Freelance Kills. And also, thank you for bearing with me with the absence of last week's show. You know, sometimes you got to take that wellness, that personal wellness break. We all are, I would say, being taxed at this point in our lives, whether we're quarantined, stuck in the house, feeling a little cooped up especially if you don't have anybody to spend this quarantine with, or perhaps you got laid off or furloughed and you're kind of feeling like you're spinning your wheels in terms of purpose. 
either way, we're all sort of hitting the wall and, um, you know, hopefully this won't be too much longer. But in the meantime, maybe my absence can serve as a reminder to you. If you need the break, take it. If you need help, get it. If you, you know, just want to not talk to people for a little bit because you need some some distance, some space, take it, you know. Do whatever it uh, do whatever it takes to be mentally, emotionally healthy, to uh, you know survive. Because that's really, you know, that's what we're preaching on freelance kills is how do you get to a point in life uh, one where you start turning on the gears of survival, surviving financially, surviving in your career. Because once you understand that floor, that foundation, that poured cement, that rock. Once you understand that, that part of survival, then you can start building on top of that and really start thriving. So anyway, if you are you know, feeling down, uh, feeling lonely, reach out to a friend. If you're feeling overstimulated, take a break, stop looking at the news, get off social media, give yourself a chill pill too. So take the space for yourself. Anyway, thank you for listening to another week of Freelance Kills, and I look forward to returning next Wednesday with an undisclosed rather unknown for me. I don't know what it's going to be, but a new topic, new thing to talk about, maybe even a guest. We'll see. All right. Have a good week. Mike, uh, Francois, both a six to one underdog. Are there any concerns on your part? I don't know anything about that. I don't know nothing about numbers. I just know what I can do. How about kill this mother? Okay.